Also, I guess Absolute Carnage is fun, but I haven't started reading it yet. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe I ought to just to balance out House of X. Like, you know, some big done fun to balance out like the holy fuck okay like <laughs> wait a minute me, wait a minute what is going on <laughs> let me finish the flow chart here <laughs> uh, this was 1987 and you were gary and i was him oh god hold on yeah i don't know we'll we'll see uh but yeah whatever um hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the only show that will walk your dog or do any household chores for uh, positive reviews on iTunes. Uh, I am Max. And I'm JR. How's it going? Uh, it goes. Uh, a little tired this morning, but that's that's because it's morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Casey and I went to Colorado, uh, yeah, and that was cool. It was mountain air does mountain air does not agree with me. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, it's too clean. It's too clean. It's, uh, it's too clean, and there's not enough of it. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, I will say on the way on the way back from Colorado, I watched Dark Phoenix on the plane, and uh, it was okay, and. Uh, but all I could think during the movie was don't let this plane crash and this have been the last thing I watched. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there are so many other things I could have and should have been doing. Also, I don't want to have to tell St. Peter this. Yeah. Like, like he's not going to respect me. Yeah. What was the last thing you watched before you died? Oh man. Oh man. What was it? Porn? No, <laughs> no, no. It was Dark Phoenix. Ugh. Uh, yeah, you get in. <laughs> you get in, but I get to make fun of you. Oh man. The the thing about it, so it's it wasn't it wasn't awful, but like I it don't didn't look. It didn't look awful. It just looked like I don't need that. It's there's so much that it's just like. Why? It looked like a perfect plane movie, though, because I was just like, I'm not going out of my way for that. And if I'm at home, I've got other things I could do. Yeah. Uh, the, The thing about it is, like, for one thing, apparently the end of the movie was supposed to take place in space. Okay? Um, that was where the, the third act was supposed to take place and they shit canned that. And instead it takes place on a train. So we've gone from first class taking place during the Cuban missile crisis to days of future past ending on the white house lawn to apocalypse, which like trashed an entire city to the train. All right. All right. Woohoo. Like, I'm not saying that every, everyone has to be bigger and bigger, but like, 
you know, you have to up the stakes at least. And once you've gone from trashing a major city to a train, you've kind of backtracked. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, the stakes in the movie are Dark Phoenix destroying the world. But still, it's just like, that's when you destroy a fucking city. Like, that's when you have right. some some collateral damage. Like, whatever. Uh, what I will say is that there was one thing I kind of have to give them a little credit for, which is that they have a big knockdown drag out in this street in New York City, at which point they're, they are captured by the mutant control uh, people. Uh-huh. And it's like mutant control unit or something like that, but their patches simply say MCU. Ah. And it's just kind of like, ha, ha. Ah. They're taken by the MCU midway yeah. through. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Ah. Whatever. Anyway, it was it was okay. Uh, the one major thing is if they were going to do the 10-year jump forward, having the same cast doesn't really work because that means Beast is in like his 50s at least. Well, that'd be okay though cuz his metabolism's all messed up now, so he doesn't really age like everybody none else. None of them have. Like, the characters that have been around, like, you know. All three, Magneto, all four movies. Magneto, yeah. Xavier, uh, like, they've all aged in real time. But <laughs> not, in the, not in the movies to any great degree. So, whatever. Anyway, um... News. News. So it's going to be 2020 soon. And um, <laughs> hooray. If you if you are a longtime Marvel reader, you may know that uh, Iron Man has some 2020 stuff that they set up back in the 80s with Machine Man, uh, wherein Arno Stark uh, is a gear shouldered Iron Man of the future. But he's a bad guy, and crazy, and stuff like that. Well, uh, they are apparently getting ready to maybe do some shit with that. Um, but we'll see. I don't, I don't know all the details. I know that they're doing a series of 2020 variants. Um, some of which are really dumb, like... There's one that's just Electra, but she's got like a gear around her waist and around her shoulders. And it's just kind of like, all right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Like, it's a variant, so I don't really give a shit. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, they've got, you know, that incoming storyline coming up. So maybe that'll have something to do with it. Whatever. Uh, in other news, so one more day uh, is a big bugbear for a lot of people. Some people um, really hate it. Some people hated it and don't care anymore. And that's me. Uh, and some people 
hated it and then came around because it was like, oh, this this wasn't that bad. Well, I I hated it, but then, you know, I really liked Dan Slott's run on Spider-Man. And right. so I was forced to concede that certain parts of that could not have happened had he been oh. married to MJ. Um, but so here's it. So here's the thing. Uh, let's just get into it and then we can backtrack and talk about one more day. Uh, so in the new issue of amazing Spider-Man, Peter buys a ring because he and MJ are back together and dating and in May apparently gives him some advice and is just like, you two really love each other. And he's like, she's right. And so he goes and buys a ring. Uh, so here's the thing. Apparently Dan Slott had said that, um, like Peter and MJ are not going to get remarried. Uh, that marriage was not going to be a part of Spider-Man's story again, which Hold I on, feel man. like that's a bit <laughs> premature. You can say as long as I'm writing Spider-Man, it won't yeah. be, but like ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. The 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 thing about that is so okay. Now, admittedly, they are not married yet. It's just a way, it's just an engagement ring. It does not necessarily mean they're getting married. But I do, I do think, so here's the thing. Um, One More Day was the culmination of a long campaign on the part of the writers of Amazing Spider-Man to get back to what they considered the the uh, apex of Spider-Man, which is he's a young guy, free and clear, footloose and fancy free in New York. Um, because all of those writers and artists and executives grew up on that Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, the Clone Saga was an attempt to do that very thing. Um and they've tried multiple times. They had MJ die in a plane crash. They had, they had them break up, and they had them do this. And it it was a whole big mess. Always trying to get back to that status quo that they considered the best version of Peter Parker, which is the single Peter Parker, preferably the, young, preferably young, but whatever, Prefer, preferably twenty or or less. Well, you know. That that's that's easily done in comics. I mean, you can yeah. basically just draw them as twenty anytime you want, and everybody will just be like, "Okay, that's what he looks like now." Um, yeah. The the problem the problem with this the problem with nostalgia and specifically chasing nostalgia is that it's a moving target. Okay, um, for a long time. The, the nostalgia market had been the people that were just like, when I started reading Spider-Man, he was out and having fun and dating around and blah, blah, blah. Increasingly, there's going to be people that started reading 
in the 80s or 90s when he was married. And that's what they're going to be nostalgic for. And I think that's maybe what Marvel is realizing is that there are there are an increasing number who know Spider-Man in the context of Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And that's that's the problem with chasing this this retro ideal is that that retro ideal is going to be different for everyone. And as the artists and writers and readers that prefer that retro ideal age out, you're going to have more and more people coming in who have a different ideal of that character. And so if you stick hard and fast to this is what Spider-Man is and it's rooted purely in an era more so than in what like Spider-Man is with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man is a working class hero who has to juggle his life as Spider-Man and his life as Peter Parker and so on. Okay. That's what Spider-Man is. Spider-Man is not the seventies. Spider-Man is not the nineties. Spider-Man is not, you know, 2005 or anything else, you know? And when you start getting bogged down in the specifics of an era, more so than what's, what the core of the character is, then that leads to uh, the issues that I think Marvel is running into now. And honestly, I mean, if you focus on writing good stories, everything else will kind of follow. You know, like, I'm not nostalgic necessarily for an era in the books I love, I'm nostalgic for specific stories. Yeah. Like I can hold something up and say, this is a really good Spider-Man yeah. story, or this is a really good X-Men story. <coughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. At least I did. I mean, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I, there were, you know, I started reading in the eighties and really, so like, my, I guess, conception of the X-Men is 90s X-Men. Uh, My conception of the X-Men is definitely 90s X-Men, but that's also, I realize that's flawed and have read a lot of other X-Men. Not as much as you, but I've read a lot of other X-Men and seen various ways. And I actually get pissed when I feel like I'm being pandered. Not pissed. I get annoyed <laughs> it, I, it annoys me when it feels like the comics are pandering to me in that this is kind of like the 90s cartoon don't you know and i'm like i'm not that's not cool yeah i already did i already did that i loved it but we did that already let's go do something else well and also and like i mean that with x-men is good because they are constantly being like, what is the most bonker shit we could do right now? Right. Because we've done all the other bonker shit. 
and none of it seems to work. You fuckers won't read. Uh, but they 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 constantly are like whatever you uh, more pasta at the wall. <laughs> nope, that that one's not done. Um, and that's that's good for the book. It's 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 healthy. You know what I mean? Well, my my major thing is I get annoyed when I'm being pandered to. You know, nostalgically, uh, because. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I liked stuff like that when I was a kid because I was a kid. I was stupid. Like, well, yeah, you know, it's like when I watch when I watch a lot of 80s cartoons, I watch them now and I'm just like, this is crap. I loved it when I was a kid, but it's crap. And yeah. um, but that also doesn't mean that the comics can't be stupid, too. <laughs> Like that's well, fine. No. Yeah, and and that's fine. Fu- <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I'm, I'm saying they they can be stupid in an. This is completely okay. I am not upset. They're just stupid. Right. And that's like, I got around to finally reading, um, not Secret Wars. Yeah, Secret Wars, and that is just stupid, but in a completely fun way. Like the Thors and all that. It's like this is ridiculous. And Group I love Thor it. And like, yeah, yeah, like all of that. It's just like fuck it. And not only are you doing this nonsense, but also like um, setting it. Thor's was the one that I thought was the most fun. Um, but setting it against like making Ultimate Thor a fucking like neo noir cop story, like that was fucking great. Yeah, a partner gets killed has to while they're already on a murder case. I loved it. And that's because it was just weird and bonkers and kind of dumb, and I didn't care because yeah. I was having fun. Um, well, right. Um, but, you know, I just, I I get annoyed with nostalgia that specifically targets that because it's just like, you loved this when you were a kid. And I'm uh-huh. like, well, yeah, but my brain hadn't really developed at that point, so... <laughs> I loved playing in a box. <laughs> and yeah, I still love that. But it doesn't mean I that I like to... it for the same reasons. But I swear to God, if you charge me $500 for a box I can play in, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's it's a moving target. And, you know, you have to recognize that at a certain point the target audience for that nostalgia is going to be a steadily declining percentage of your fandom. And that's okay. Like, that's good. It means you're bringing in new people as time passes. But, like, you you can't keep uh, aiming at the old... Because it's never gonna, it's you're never going to hit that, you're never gonna hit that point where it's just like, and now we can just coast, like, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, comics, comics. Uh, we start this week with Ghost Rider number twenty, which is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Don Perlin, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by Denise Wall. Uh, 
This is the last issue of the storyline we were reading last week. Um, Death's Head has <coughs> Daredevil. When Ghost Rider uh, and Stuntmaster burst in through the wall, um, <clears throat> they they fight, and Death's Head is just like, whatever, later. Uh, and Karen, part- sorry. Uh, right after Death said pieces out, Matt's like, okay, he's gone. We're never going to catch him now. And Johnny's like, fuck that. I'm going. And he just speeds off after him. I, I just, fuck this dude. He's an asshole. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. All right. Go for it, bud. Yeah. And, uh, there are, there are a couple of things. First of all, uh, Karen really just does not get the secret identity thing because both in the last issue and in this issue she starts to refer to him as matt uh when when she knows there's like cameras around and shit like is it any wonder that this is the person kingpin finds out daredevil daredevil secret identity from daredevil whatever uh is it any wonder that she's the no. one who sells him out? Because even though ostensibly she loves him, and even though like she's like sworn to secrecy here, she's just like Mar Daredevil, like Mardevil, Mardevil. That's what I was. What? Yeah, Karen, are you having a stroke? Yes, I am definitely having a stroke. Yeah, but. In the course of this, Stuntmaster's just like, I'm really sorry he hypnotized me. And she's like, I understand. Like, that's, you know, whatever. And he's like, Stuntmaster's like, you're the best. I'm going to leave for a while, get my shit together. And she's like, what about the show? And he's like, if I, you know, when I come back, maybe the show will be back on. We'll see. Which, yeah, if I come back, maybe there will be a show. You know, because that's that's how television works. Is just the sh- sure. the star can walk away, um, and when they're ready, <coughs> the show will come back. Um, but uh, Karen and Daredevil are just like, you know what, we're we're good as we are, whatever. Um, so <laughs> Johnny comes back having lost Death's head, and. Uh, Daredevil's just like, well, I, I need to, I'll hunt him down. You've done your part. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. And Johnny's just like, uh, no, no, we're working together on this one. And, uh, so, uh, he goes, Johnny, sorry, he goes back to the hospital. Johnny goes back to the hospital to check in on Roxy, uh, Roxanne and nothing horrible has befallen her yet. And... Um, so far so good. It's been 24 hours. Yeah. Um, Give it time. He, he, yep. Uh, that's pretty much, they, they have a thing where Johnny's an idiot and is like, I don't, yeah, I don't deserve you. I'm gonna go what, ride the rails or something. I don't know. He's got this cowboy accent now. Yeah, and the, he keeps talking. Uh, he calls Death's Head a pole cat. Yeah, and 
whatever. It's real weird. But Roxanne's like, I like he tries to straight up just end it. And she's like, I don't I don't want anybody else. I just want you. What the fuck is going on? Come here. And I assume they do. And bone in the hospital, which well, can't make a hospital any less gross. Uh, so actually, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, they, I I assume they're still together. So that's good. Uh, yeah, I kind of liked that moment because I wish Roxanne would have been a little more, a little stronger in her refutation of his dumbassery, but it's still, I kind of liked it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and what what I will say as far as your it's a hospital you can't make it any grosser. Let's bear in mind these are these are carnies. They're circus folk. They can and they will. It's true. Uh anyway. So Matt and Karen are walking through the park together and there's a whole like oh, we couldn't do this in Central Park and Matt's like, "Well, actually, Central Park now is a lot better than it was." Uh, and blah, 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 whatever. Who gives a shit? And uh, Lo- Local jokes get you local work. And these guys cannot not talk about New York. Right. So uh, Death's Head shows up along with Smasher. And uh, Matt, like, disappears into the foliage and comes back as Daredevil. Uh, and Daredevil's just like, I know who you are. Like, you know. And Death Set is just like, fine. And he's Death Stalker. Big shock. Uh, but, Whoa. yeah. Uh, in, the, in the course of this, like, he, he puts his... He... I forget exactly how it happens, but he winds up putting his hand on Smasher and killing him. And it's like, in an offhand way. Like, he just... He's just like, fuck you. And Smasher... No, it's... He pushes... Daredevil pushes Smasher into Deathstalker. Hmm. And Deathstalker, it, like, it's really, it's like, oh no! Like, he puts his hand up to, like, keep Smasher from falling into him. And then dead Smasher. Yeah. And, like. Deathstalker's uh, powers are a joke. Yeah. But, uh, Ghost Rider shows up. And uh, he blasts him with hellfire, which sets him on fire, and he seemingly burns. Uh, but uh, that's well, right before that, he Deathstalker grabs Ghost Rider by the forehead and is like, "Why aren't you dying? Yeah, this well, is weird. I'm gonna go." And Johnny's like, "Fuck that! You're not gonna go." And then he lights him on fire, and as he's dying. He's like, ha ha ha, dancing with the flames. You know you can't kill me. Gone. It's like... Yeah. Yep. Whatever. This was a story. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, It is over now. Johnny turns back to normal, and Karen and Daredevil talk for a minute, and Daredevil's just like, you know, if you ever need me, I'm here. And she's like, I know, but I hope I never see you again. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically like he's like, I I will always be there the moment you need me. And she's like, well, I hope I never need you. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so she and Johnny ride away, and that's that. Bye, Matt. <laughs> um, you just left him in uh, La Brea Park. Yeah. And uh, not even a your ride own... to the airport. Nope. Not from downtown to LAX. No. That's like four and a half days. <laughs> Let's go. Champions number five is uh, written by Tony Isabella. Penciled by Don Heck, inked by John Tartaglioni, uh, colored by Janice Cohen, lettered by John Costanza and Irving Watanabe. Um, <laughs> Gesundheit. Uh, so at the beginning of this, uh, Angel is at the offices of his parents. Uh, Accountant? Guy. Who... Yeah. Basically, like, I I guess I, I don't know how it is that you can be surprised by how rich your parents are. Like, I would think you would have some idea. Like, he thinks, yeah, but like, his ballpark is so, so wrong. Like, that's the part that I don't understand. Like, he has an idea. He's like, I think... You know, like, I never have to work again. Like, he that's knew his kind parents of where were wealthy. Yeah, but he's like, I, I know I never have to work again, but he doesn't know that he's Tony Stark rich. Yeah, which like, you, you'd think... You'd not think only do you, you know. never have to work again, but you can also privately fund a super team if you want. <laughs> like, And still have more money than God. Like, and continue to make money. Like, all you have to do, that's just off interest. Yeah. Like, you're not even, you're not a hating principle of what you got yet. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, he's, like, jumping up and down, excited about how rich he is. Um, we switch tacky. to you. Which is a little tacky in front of Bobby. I was well, like, oh, man, but go yeah. buy him an ice cream or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that's also tacky. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Oops. Anyway, Not making it better. They uh, so we switched to UCLA, where you know Ivan and uh, Ivan. Well, we got and what we got the the vignette of right after Warren finds out that he's completely rich. We go to this other dude named I don't remember his goddamn Clark. name. Clark. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was going to get to him, but I was just going to well, try and address the uh, champions first. Okay, but he finds out that he's broke. Anyway, go yeah, ahead. he he's he's been hit hard by the recession, and uh, yeah, but we we see Black Widow and Ivan, and they're like talking about what's going to happen, and she's like, "I have a really good feeling about these champions," and Ivan's like, "Well, yeah, but like you've." You've been through this before, and she's just like, "No, it's gonna work out this time. It won't. It won't." But uh, <laughs> I love how he's like, "But yeah, but every time you have a good feeling, you end up getting really, really hurt." And she's like, "Hey, yeah, <laughs> don't be a dick." <laughs> yeah, but uh, so Hercules is facing off against the UCLA Bruins football team. And he wrecks them. Uh, Richard Fenster uh, 
he uh, gets fired by UCLA due to the damage caused in the first issue of the champions. Uh, but as soon as he's like walking out and he's just like, what am I going to do now? But as if from heaven, here comes Warren, who's just like, Hey, how would you like to manage the champions incorporated? And he's just like, sure. And it's just like, man, if only things could have worked out for Clark like this. Uh, but yeah, so Stuart Clark goes back to his company and he's just like, this is bullshit, man. This is. Uh, I forgot to mention he did fire his uh, right hand dude. Yeah, like fired his he fired his lawyer. Yeah, his he, lawyers. He's a his attorney because he like fucked him, and uh, yeah, he's the one that screwed up the because he was it's his lawyer, accountant, financial manager all rolled into one because like he screwed up some in, some of the investments from the company into. I don't know. He lost all the money. Yeah. So Clark goes back to his company and he's just like looking at this suit of uh, armor. And he's just like, you know, I developed this uh, so that uh, so that like the police wouldn't have to wear it, would be able to wear it. But the big companies like Stark and Roxxon got all the government contracts because they're the big boys and everything. And it's like, I get it, but also the way they, the way these characters are written sometimes, it's just like, shut the fuck up. But um, he decides... Well, the only thing that's fun about Clark is when he gets fired. Or not when he gets fired, when he finds out that he's bankrupt because he runs out of the or he fires his lawyer dude runs downstairs and is like you know how normally when you're building a supervillain he's like i'll make them all pay i'll make them all pay no 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 he's running into the streets going i'll pay them all back i'll pay them all back you'll see and it's like <laughs> wait that's different and yeah. there's a lady on the there's a lady on the street who's like uh well, there goes another one between LA's LA smog and the Republicans. We're all going to flip out before long. Yeah. But, uh, so he, he decides that in order to get the money he needs, he will put on the armor and rob a bank. Yep. Uh, and so he goes, we see angel and the others like, uh, somebody's not with them. Who was a ghost writer? Not, not with them. With- and um, Bobby. Bobby's out getting Bobby's, coffee. yeah, just walking around. Um, they're sitting down to lunch to talk about the Champions thing. And uh, and Bobby is out, like, thinking about, like, how once the Champions thing is kind of settled, he's going to go out and just try to have a normal life. Um, but as he's doing this, he comes across... Uh, Clark robbing the bank so he of course intervenes um for whatever reason the restaurant that Angel and the others are eating at plays the news instead of a of music uh because you know during a recession that's how you get people relaxed enough to enjoy their dinner um 
So they come and join in and they're kind of knocking him around somewhat like Hercules is trashing him. Uh, the others keep kind of getting knocked off. Uh, but eventually what winds up happening is that Clark uh, is able to grab hold of Angel and uses him as a hostage. Which uh, brings us to Champions number six, which is penciled by George Tusca, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by Irving Watanabe. Um, <clears throat> they, uh, they uh, are just like, okay. First, Sorry. Yeah, they, they, they are like, okay, we just got our asses kicked. And... Okay, wait. When does that happen? Because that's really cool. What? They basically... Okay, the first thing they do is figure out... Is they basically just rush him and are able to get Warren back. Right? Yeah. But Ivan winds up severely injured because he takes a shot that was meant for somebody else. Rampage... Takes a shot that was meant for uh, Widow. Right. And that makes sense. Uh... Clark manages to escape. Um, and uh, the champions decide, like, they need a leader. Um, yeah. And, and this is the conversation that I really liked. is because Warren's just like, no, not me. Her. She should be the leader. Yeah. Anybody? Anybody? Everybody good with that? And everyone's like, yep. Yeah. I'm sure Ghost Rider won't care. <laughs> Yeah, Hercules is just like, fuck yeah, let's do it. I'll follow you into Hades. And, uh, you know, Bobby's like, whatever. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah. But uh, the guy that Clark fired sees the news story about all of this, recognizes the design of the armor, and he's just like, oh oh boy (laughs) and calls the cops um and then we go uh we switch to clark who's back at his factory and he's just like this is a really bad idea i nearly killed someone i need to dismantle this armor and be done with this um and he's a he's like about to do so when the cops show up outside and they're just like rampage. We know you're in there. Cause he was dubbed rampage by the news, whatever. Uh, yeah. and he's just like, fuck, I can't go to jail. So his boot jets were fucked up. So he puts on a jet pack and proceeds to blast his way out. Um, the, uh, the champions show up and proceed to start fighting him. And it is, it is not going well for rampage. Um, for one thing, I love angel has Hercules's mace now. Uh, yeah, which is pretty bitching. But, uh, anyway, so rampage is like, fuck, I'm done for. I ruin, I am not going to prison. So, uh, he tries to set his jetpack to explode. Iceman ices everything up and manages it like 
prevents the explosion from being as bad as it could have been. Uh, Clark is injured, but still alive. Um, so he's able to be turned over to the police and, uh, the champions are just like, hooray, we won. Standing. Uh, They're like, hooray, we won. Yay. (laughs) Winning. Why does winning suck? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Clark's lawyer is watching all of this from the, from the shadows and he's just like, well, I can still sell off the company, make enough to pay off the creditors and collect what money I'm owed. Cool. And uh, heads off into the darkness. Whatever. Like, what is this lawyer doing, though? Like, he called the cops and then he rushed down there to lurk in an alley? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Whatever. Uh... So yeah, um, it was fine. It wasn't like it was. This was an okay storyline. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was fine. Iron Fist number five uh, is written by Chris, Chris Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Frank Chiaramonte. Colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Joe Rosen. Um, Iron Fist is on his way to meet someone who supposedly knows where Colleen is. Um, on his way to do so, he decides to uh, switch to his civilian clothes so that they won't see Iron Fist coming. Um right. No sooner does he do do so when he sees a bunch of dudes beating the shit out of some guy in an alleyway. Uh, So he intervenes, fights them all off, um, and uh, saves the guy's life. The guy introduces himself. His his name is Alan Kavanaugh. Um, And we find out this is a good... The reason he was attacked is because these... Guys, these guys are not just gang members. There's, they're wannabe terrorists. And uh, he is a former member of the IRA who uh, one of his bombs went off and killed a bunch of women and children. And uh, he realized that, you know, however much he may believe in the cause, he could not do that. So he retired, but they... Every so often these, you know, the cops will pull them in anytime there's some bomb that goes off. The various gangs around will pull it, will try and get him to do something for him, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, uh, so Danny heads to where um, this meetup with this informant is supposed to be. Uh, Alan tags along. They enter the building, uh, not knowing that they're being watched by uh, a bunch of, I don't know. I don't... There's, a, there's a sniper on the roof with a dude with a sword. Yeah. Like, at this point, that's all we know. Yeah. Um, 
I was I was trying to say soldiers, but like I didn't really. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they enter the building where they find the informant dead and pinned up to the wall. Uh, and there's like a couple dudes with guns. Danny uh, reacts immediately and like gets them the bo- both the fuck out of there. Um, at which point he's uh, Alan's just like, whoa, that was really cool. And Danny's <laughs> like, yeah, gotta go. And so he switches to Iron Fist. Um, and there's a big old there's a big old fight between him and this dude it turns out is named Scimitar who is working for Master Khan. Uh, but um they they fight and Scimitar manages to put some distance between them at which point uh Kavanaugh yells like he's getting away and uh but but in an Irish accent and uh Danny's like I'm not going to get to him in time but Alan then grabs Scimitar and is stabbed um at which point Danny just goes in and wrecks Scimitar um and takes Alan to the hospital um but he well I can't decide if this is cool or not because after Danny gets cut, he or not Danny. After Kavanaugh gets cut, oh god, they're both called De- Alan. After Alan get Kavanaugh gets cut, Danny like the fist just shows up. Yeah, like he kind of loses it, and the fist just appears, and he's like, hold on. No. I'm I'm in control. Like there's this who, who controls me? Who can who's in control me or the fist? Right. And he's like he decides not to use the fist on Scimitar because ostensibly <clears throat> he would put a hole through his chest. Right. Um and just kicks the shit out of him. Um it's just that having that pause there was like clearly not this storyline, but this is something they want us to be thinking about because it's right before the big fight. Yeah. Um, so he takes Alan to the hospital after he kicks the crap out of Scimitar. Right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we check in in with Colleen who is still a captive of master con Master Khan is using Angar the Screamer to uh, to brainwash her in order. I'll have you. I'll have you know that when Angar the Screamer showed up in Daredevil, you told me that we ne- we never had to see him again. Uh, no, I did not. I would not have said that because I know for a fact he shows up in Thunderbolts. So, but that's where he dies. Yeah, but that I didn't have to see him until. The 2000s. I'm wrong a lot. What do you want? Okay. I just wanted that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wrong sometimes. I'm wrong a lot. Like... Like a lot. Right. <laughs> I... All right. 
Uh, I was just disappointed. I had to read Angar. Um, Go ahead. Anyway, he's broken Colleen. That's so the th- that's the deal. Yeah, he's in the process of brainwashing Colleen, and we find out that it's because the Master Khan wants to use her to kill Iron Fist. They send in an Iron Fist robot, and she smashes it immediately. Blah blah blah. Whatever. So yeah. Uh, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and take a break and we will be back in a moment. Um, wow. Yeah. This. Yeah. All right, let's do this. On that note, uh, Iron Ma- Iron Fist number six uh there is no colorist uh credited for this issue uh but it's lettered by gaspar saladino and karen mantlow um at at the beginning of this issue iron fist arrives at an airfield uh having been dropped off by uh by uh Alan and uh, he gets on this plane and he's introduced by uh, he's introduced to Jaron Hogarth who was a friend of his parents and the guy who is out to execute their will Um, and uh, Misty Knight is there and it turns out that Jaron is the hired Colleen and Misty Knight to uh surveil Danny and make sure he was legit and you know stuff like that um and he knows where Colleen is because apparently Chris Claremont is as sick of this shit as we are and he's just like whatever let's just move it along so he knows where she is and he flies uh he flies Danny and Misty to go and rescue her. Um, what this involves is uh, is uh, Iron Fist hang gliding into the compound and going in himself. Um, there's a brief moment where uh, Misty, he Danny tries to talk to Misty about what happened in the hospital like he's like i tried to come and see you they wouldn't let me blah 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 what's up with your arm um and we get a brief flashback to how misty lost her arm and she held a bomb like (laughs) uh there was a bomb apparently she was a cop she tried to um she was trying to grab the bomb grab the bomb and get rid of it um, so that when it, it went off yeah it looked like it was in a department store but see that's the thing is she doesn't tell Danny any of that we get right. we the audience get to learn it Danny still doesn't know and I kind of like right. when an author just chooses to do that um, it's fun I'm sure it'll <laughs> be a little annoying later when it's like just fucking tell him it's not that big a deal but it like right. it is to her and like that's right. that's how it's signaled is like that we get to know it's a big deal and then the fact that she doesn't tell him 
is like, no, this is really big thing for her, and that's cool. I like it. Jaren yeah. is fucking just skeezy, and I kind of yeah. love like he is a little slimy in all the right lawyer ways, um, and I kind of like it. I don't like him, and I'm not. I think I I'm. That's the point, but I think it's fun because yeah. he's a bit of a piece of shit throughout comics. Yeah, but also kind of like in the in the in the first season of the show where you're like, I hate you, but I don't want you to die like this. Ugh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. If you're if you're unfamiliar with the character of Jaron Hogarth, uh, Carrie Ann Moss played him in the in the shows, kind of. Uh, she was Jerry Hogarth, but uh, sa- same basic character. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, and and over the course of things, like Misty brings up with him, like. Uh, because he, he says at one point, like that if something had happened to Danny, the, the Rand, the Rand portion of Rand Meacham, their money would have been split between various charities and him. And so Misty is basically just like, so you're sending him on a suicide mission, knowing that if he dies, you'll get the money. And he's just like, well, yeah, but like, I bet if I said, if I said something you'd done in that tone of voice, I could make you sound like the bad guy. Like, uh, so you're going to really pick up that bomb and try to throw it out the department store window. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Sure. See how you uh, see how now you sound like an asshole. No, it's just the tone of voice. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we we get a we get a brief vignette. So, Iron Fist hang glides into the compound, knocks out a guard, but like a couple others here, he's able to take them out before they're able to raise an alarm. I really um, like the the sequence of him, just a little ninja, right? A little yeah. silent, like taking folks out as he goes through. And he's having to move quickly because he knows that at some point somebody's going to run up on an unconscious body and he's going to be screwed. So mm-hmm. he's there's a bit of a ticking clock and I don't know. I like it. I, you know, if this continues, I might like Iron Fist and I'm not happy about that. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we switch to Kunlun where uh, UT is using this huge crystal to watch what Iron Fist is doing. Um, Le Kung, the Thunderer, comes in, um, and he's just like, what are you doing? We need that to watch for another attack. And UT is just like, fuck you, I know what I'm doing! And Le Kung is like, yeah, but like, what the fuck are you doing? And UT does not react well. Um, so, and we also learn more about who UT is 
And yeah. I guess I'm confused. Does Danny know this information? No. Because Danny finds the Danny finds out some of this next oh, issue. Oh, right. Okay, um, so so the the rundown is that UT is Danny's uncle and Danny's father was actually supposed to be the the the, Jade, the august personage in Jade. Jade. Yeah, and because Wendell left, he he got to be he forced Wendell out. Is that what he did? Yeah, he he arranged to have Wendell exiled so that he could take over Kunlun. Um and then and when Wendell this was all happened way. because UT was in love with the woman that uh, wound up marrying Wendell and siring children and so forth. And yeah, it's a little uh, soap opera, but it's not it's not the worst that I've ever read. Yeah, um, so because this is all um so the the thing about it is um this is the the woman that UT and Wendell both loved was the mother of Miranda Rand Danny's sister, half sister. This is not the one that. It's not his mom. It's not Danny's mom who died when she was eaten by wolves. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's that. Yeah. Uh, but we get, we get a brief glimpse at Wendell was supposed to be the one in charge of. Uh, in charge of Kunlun, UT had a grudge against him because he married and had a kid with it's either Shakira or Shakiri, uh, depending on when. Um, and uh, he held a grudge, so he forced Wendell out, became UT. We get more about this in the next issue, but we'll get to that. Um, Iron Fist makes his way through the compound and finds Colleen. Uh, Misty had given him her sword to give to her. Forgot about that. Uh, But she immediately attacks him. Um, He, they fight. um, And uh, there um Things get a little wibbly. Was Engar affecting him? Is that what uh, happened? Or did yes. she drug him? No, Angar. Okay. Because, yeah, it's so, a big old Angar in the background. Yeah, so he starts, like, he has to fight his way through the hallucinations he's having and stuff like that. And fight, um, and like, and not fight be, Colleen. Yeah, not be murdered by Colleen at the same time. Right. Um, but what winds up happening is... He manages to get a hold of her 
and uh, uses the power of the Iron Fist to basically merge their minds, uh, which breaks the mental conditioning Angar had subjected her to. Yeah, um, but it also pisses her off. Because well, yeah, we'll okay, we'll get to that. Um, because I mean, it is, it is, it's a massive. Uh, yeah. It was done for the right reasons, but it's still a massive invasion. Yeah, um, she's not... She's rightfully upset with him. Right, um, right. Um, but everybody so, surrounds him, and they're about to cut cut his head off, I guess. Right. Because um, he's, he's a bit... He's a bit uh, out of it yeah. due to the amount of ex- power he expended. Right. Uh, so Iron Fist number seven is colored by Bonnie Wilford and lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, Colleen comes to um, and uh, she she um, tells him to go and she will deal with all these assholes. So she, she, I mean, the, the sequence in which she basically cuts her way through, uh, the various soldiers is pretty cool. Um, so definitely worth reading. Uh, but she, she slices her way through them and then gets to, uh, Angar who is about to, about to unleash his powers on her. And she like, whips her sword across <coughs> and he is like huh, nice move pity you missed and she's like i didn't and then he collapses um the thing that i liked though that was neat about the whole sequence is that for all of the whole time that she's taking down the extraneous goons um the sword is in the scabbard. Right. And so she's basically hitting them with a har- with a large stick. Um, wrecking shop again, but and being rad, but when it gets when she gets to Angar, the flash is the the way that it's put on the page is really neat because you can you know for a fact that it's in the scabbard. She does the whip and he starts talking then you then there's a panel of the scabbard in her hand and you're like but just the scabbard and you're like oh shit and then and then the sword with the blood on it and he goes down it's really yeah neat. you got to definitely yeah look look this one up just for this sequence it's real cool yeah uh, all of the, all of the issues this week are on Marvel Unlimited so if you have if you have uh, if you have it, definitely check the this issue out. Um, so yeah, uh, Angar is ostensibly killed here, but he doesn't die. Um, so uh, as as Iron Fist is making his way through the castle, uh, dude steps out of the shadows, ha- like cracks. Danny across the back of the head uh, and steps out of the shadows and it's that big dude Kambala Bay um, and he's like there is no princess here to save you this time and uh, Danny's like 
I don't need one. At which point, uh, Danny just fucking ruins this guy. I mean, it is a short fight. Yeah. Um, he puts him down, which I isn't that surprising because he was, I'm pretty sure, because they fought before and the princess stopped that fight, right? Right. And this yeah. this time, and it didn't really look like Kamala Bay was winning. They were yeah. kind of maybe maybe stalemating that fight, and he yeah fucking like I have no time for you. Wah, down. And that that the previous fight, I got the impression that uh, Iron Fist wasn't really invested (laughs) yeah like he wasn't he was just trying to keep this guy off of him Mm -hmm. like he wasn't actually trying to fight the dude hardcore uh this time he was and he just fucking ruins him yeah so he goes into master khan's hidden chambers i forget uh i think it was last issue one thing i did forget to mention about last issue is that as ut is watching everything going on with iron fist we also find out that like all of the stuff that's happened to Danny has been arranged by UT. Like he's behind all of it to test him or something. Whatever. But so Iron Fist uh, faces Master Khan and Master Khan is just like, you know, this doesn't have to go down this way. He's like, I have no interest in you. My only my only concern in all of this was vengeance. He's like, I was a scholar and the man who ruled this country, uh, wanted me to work for him. I refused. So he took my family and tortured my daughter to death. And so all I, everything I have done in the process of taking this country has been vengeance. He's like, and he's like, and yeah, I don't really plan to stop here, but I have no interest in you. In fact, I can give you what you want most. And he, and he opens a portal to Kunlun. It opens into the study of UT and UT is like, what the fuck? And, uh, oh shit, my pants. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) and yeah, like Khan is just like, you don't have to wait 10 years. I can take you to Kunlun now. Yeah. And, uh, and Danny, I did. So one thing about this is as they're, as they're facing off, uh, Khan is throwing various spells at him and we, you see a few spells that do get used in Dr. Strange. And eventually Danny is captured by the crimson uh, rings of Sidorak. Uh, so he's kind of bound right now. Um, in the course of things, Kana, to sweeten the deal, Khan is just like, oh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this. UT is kind of responsible for your mother's death. And Danny's like, what? And he's like, well, think about it. I mean, your mother died on the footsteps of Kunlun, eaten by wolves. Where were the archers on the walls? Yeah. Why was no one there 
to pull her out of that situation, even though those walls are always closely guarded. And he's just like, what the fuck? And UT's just like, now hold on. <laughs> and uh, so Danny's ju- Danny tells UT, we're going to have a talk about this. But then he winds up destroying the portal. Um, yeah. Which creates... I will, I will give uh, Chris Claremont credit here for not falling back on what he always seems to fall back on, which is the phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. Uh. But uh, it creates a massive um, hole that just starts sucking everything in. Danny is able to grab hold. Khan is not. Uh, and Danny tries to save Khan. Uh, but fails and there's a big question of like you know did i did i do everything i could have done or did i let him die um which is a nice little i don't know it's an it's an interesting question to sort of end things on with that um so he comes back upstairs uh or he comes back he comes back outside um and uh Colleen, it's now dawn Colleen is waiting for him and uh it is clear she is not happy about uh the invasion of her privacy that was that mental connection but she 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 kind of lets it go like that's not to say she's forgiven and forgotten but like she's just like yeah we're friends but fuck dude like yeah uh i like that this is a very i like that they decided to make it a complicated situation where she's like i realize man like i realize i was gonna die or you were gonna kill me the options were you kill me or i kill you and like i realized i realized that and and that's why, like, it sucks that I can't just just be mad at you. I would much yeah. rather that. That would be way easier. But, okay, like, we're fine, but, like, don't fucking talk to me too hard for a while. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I'm really frustrated because I've... Ne- I've never been a big Iron Fist fan. I've tried reading the early appearances and I just don't care. Um, because, you know, I've been an X-Men fan forever. And to find out that the early issues of Iron Fist are like Claremont and Byrne, I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. You know, but man, I just didn't care. And doing this, doing this in the context of this, I kind of like them and... I have spent so long making fun of Iron Fist. Uh well I'm I'm now questioning my entire identity. Oh. Well <laughs> <laughs> I mean It's an existential crisis, man. Uh okay. I I mean it's, <laughs> it's just it's just comics. But uh, all, all right. No, I like I said, though, I I have I have made fun of Iron Fist a lot. I think I, we all are. We all have. 
uh, even before the show, I thought the character was garbage. Um, but anyway, moving on, uh, we get to <laughs> Eternals number one. Uh, all of these issues, let me just go ahead and say this right now. All of the issues we read this week without fail are written and penciled by Jack Kirby. But Eternals number one is inked by John Verporten, colored by Glynis Ween, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino. And so, issue one at number one starts, and we've got Daniel Damien, who is an archaeologist, uh, Margot, his daughter, and then this random asshole, Ike Harris, uh, who are in these, it was Incan, right? Incan. Yeah, Incan. Uh, they are in these Incan, uh, <clears throat> uh, ruins, ruins. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, and Ike Harris clearly knows more than he's telling because <coughs> even though he is ostensibly just some guy they picked up along the way, he's he's the one who has made their finding this possible. Right. Uh, he has led them through these ruins to this ancient chamber and... Uh, they're just like, wow, you were a lucky find. And <laughs> he's just like, yes, lucky. Yes, I and, was. Uh, yeah. So in the in the course of things, they're, he's like letting, it, letting them in on little pieces of information. But eventually he's just like, you know what? We're here. I might as well tell you the real deal. So he takes off his hat and his sunglasses and tells them that his name is actually Icarus. And he is an Eternal. And they're like, I have no idea what the fuck that is. He explains that. And all the while he's explaining this, he's like hunting around for something. Like, yeah. he lost his keys. And he's trying to right. explain to you what, you know, the pa the what the actual order of prehistory was. And look for his car keys at the same time. So right. I just like and to imagine that he's a little distracted while he's doing this. <laughs> and he yeah. keeps like losing his space. Wait, what did I tell <clears> you? <throat> yeah, so Icarus explains that many, many millions of years ago or however long, um the Celestials came to Earth and they, they refer to them solely as the gods here. Um the gods came to Earth and um uh, experimented upon the uh, the life forms that they found there and in doing so they wound up creating the three these three distinct races the humans the deviants and the eternals the eternals are literally eternal they're immortal they can't be killed ostensibly yada 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 the Deviants are all just, like, monstrous and uh, are very warlike. They're constantly building weapons and trying to take over the world. And the humans are Us. humans. It's kind, of, it's kind of like there's a spectrum 
And on one end are the Eternals, who are just, like, the best. And then on the other end are the Deviants, who are just shit. And then humans are somewhere in between. And we have, we have like, the aggressive tendencies of the Deviants, but we can, we are capable of great things like the Eternals and blah, blah, blah. So, um, in the course of things, Icarus explains that he is looking in this uh, chamber to find a cosmic beacon that will call the gods back to Earth. <clears throat> he finds it and is in the process of activating it. Um, as he does so, um, there is a plane flying over the ocean when it encounters some random thing and uh, is destroyed. Um, we follow this thing back down under the water and it turns out it was sent up by the deviants who don't want anybody happening across their uh, undersea uh, kingdom of Lemuria. Um, yeah. And the idea behind this is that like this is how you wind up with things like the Bermuda Triangle is because yeah anyway uh, so there's this dude Crow K-R-O who is ordered to find the God Chamber and destroy the Cosmic Beacon uh, before the Eternals can find it so um as he is turning on, as Icarus is turning on the beacon, the eternal or the the deviants show up essentially, essentially yeah. at the same just about that time, uh, and attack. Icarus goes god mode and just raises this. He just holds his arms out and this freaking sheet of fire engulfs their projectiles um uh, <coughs> and uh margo and what's his name are just like uh okay dr damien yeah uh are like okay cool, cool. and yeah in <coughs> very jack kirby style one of the deviants he's like use the shroud and it's a gun that he, he fires a projectile that uh, just expands out to a giant blanket and covers up Icarus's eyes so he can't be any more effective, which is so Kirby. Um, and all of this is interrupted when the gods uh, arrive on Earth. And yeah. they everybody basically is just like, well... No reason to fight each other, because we're all going to be dead soon. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, Eternals number two is lettered by John Costanza, and uh, opens with this enormous ship uh, floating outside. And, uh... <coughs> excuse me, I don't know why I've suddenly developed a cough. Uh, 
Crow is just like, fuck, we got to do something. Uh, but is quickly turned away by the power of the ship. Um, and uh, it's at this point that... Uh, so the deviants, the deviants are just like, fuck this and run. Um, and, um, everybody else is, yeah. Icarus and Margo and Dr. Damien are kind of, they're trapped inside the ruins now. Like, yeah, because the, the place starts to come down because of like the, the size and uh power of this ship like it's mm. it's yeah bringing the place down so icarus goes to this chamber called the resurrection resurrection crypt and uh starts talking about how there was this there was this uh figure among the inca called tecu Motsen, who was ostensibly able to speak to the gods and um so he he activates this resurrection crypt which causes all of these dudes to come spilling out among them is tecu Motsen, who it turns out is the eternal ajak ajak are orders all of the other guys that are awakened to go and prepare for the coming of the gods and they go in, this wall opens, and there's basically like a a prehistoric... Uh, it's um, an early history, uh, like, control tower. Thank you. That's what, yeah. like a control room yeah. slides out. <clears throat> and... Uh, Mar- he, Margo, you know, gets, Ajak- Margo gets there first, which I love, is like, she's just like, oh, they're... They're a freaking freight flight crew. Like that's yeah. why the it well, that's why the gods outside are pissed is because nobody's manning the airport. Um, yeah. So they all set to work and Ajak communicates with the celestials and says, Hey, sorry, we hadn't been woken up yet. Um and he raises he raises this uh huge well, they call it they call it a pylon in the issue, I think, but it's bit it's a huge pedestal, mm-hmm. and uh, once he does, then the first celestial comes out of the ship, and it's Arishem, uh, leader of the fourth host of the celestials, and the whole celestial host thing gets really confusing because it's like there have been there's the first host and the second host and blah blah blah. It's a whole fucking thing but whatever um Arishem I guess just stands there (laughs) because like once he's out like all of these other celestials come out and start doing stuff but Arishem's job is to literally just stand there and watch everything yeah and this is what we find out in Eternals number three is that Arishem stands there and he will stand and watch for the next 50 years. And at the end of that 50 years, he will pass judgment. And there, there's not really, there's not really a ton of explanation as to what that means. I mean, there's no, 
it's like, what the fuck is the criteria? You know, like, but it's all supposed to be completely unknowable because who can understand a celestial and yada, yada, yada. But I'm just saying if I, if I lived in this world and I found out that I was going to be judged for the next 50 years, I'd be like, yeah, but how, why, what, what are you looking for? Like what, this is fucking bullshit. So no wonder the deviants are pissed. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. And so what we find out is that the, the celestials are going to seal off this entire area for the next 50 years. And Icarus is like, we've got to go or you're going to be stuck here. Dr. Damien is like, no, we can't, we can't leave. There's all of the, this is an archeological treasure trove. Um, and Marco's like, please, dad, come on, we got to go. And he's like, no, I'm staying. And she's like, then I'm staying. And Icarus is like, no, you're too young to just die in a fucking dome. <laughs> so Icarus grabs Margo and takes her outside to the plane that brought them. And they take off and uh, barely manage to make it out of the uh, dome before it closes um <clears throat> crow goes back to lemuria and is tortured uh for his failure to prevent the uh cosmic beacon from being activated right uh eventually they're just like okay well you're still our best leader so we guess we'll give you another shot and he's like thanks um <laughs> he, and he he's got a plan too yeah he's got a plan and uh so he he's just like haha and grows a couple of horns and explains that what he is going to do is attack the humans uh thus causing them to distrust what's happening in Argentina mm-hmm. which will cause them to attack the celestials and then Either the deviants and the humans can join together to destroy the celestials, or we can all be wiped out together, I guess. So, um, his plan is to... So the deviants are the reason we ha- we have myths about monsters, and Crow is ostensibly the reason for the devil, and yada, yada, yada. Um... So his idea is that he will attack New York as the devil and make people fundamentally afraid for their souls. So cool. Also um, the space devil. Right. Yeah. He he's he's literally just going to be like we have come back from space and I'm here for your souls. Uh So they they attack Manhattan <clears throat> so Icarus and Margot are on their way back to the US. He he decides to freak her the fuck out yeah. by he switches from his normal his civilian clothes into like his eternal garb. Uh and she's like, Don't take your hand off the wheel, and he's like, I'm flying it with my brain. And then he <laughs> goes outside and starts flying. <clears throat> And just leaves her inside. But they're still like conversing or whatever. 
So fuck it. Uh, so he, uh, they come under attack and he's able to fend it off, but he realizes, oh, the deviants are attacking. And so he takes her to this apartment building in New York. Uh, and leaves her in the care of his fellow eternal, Cersei. Now, apparently, apparently, this is not Cersei's first appearance because the Greek Cersei appeared in an old Jack Kirby story in Strange Tales. Okay. And they technically count that as Cersei's first appearance. Huh. So, yeah. But basically, at this point, it's we find out that, you know, the the Greek Cersei uh, is actually the eternal Cersei. Uh, and the Greeks just never learned how to spell her name. But anyway, he leaves her in her care um, and goes off to fight deviants. Um <laughs> And it's at this point that Crow makes himself known to the humans below. And he's just like, I am the space devil. (laughs) And and it's, it's really, it's not until the end of this week's reading that we actually get the point at which the Eternals are ostensibly brought into the wider Marvel universe. Because, as I've said, at this point in time, the Eternals were meant to be separate. Um, but I I find it funny because bringing this into the wider Marvel universe means this is a this is a this is a Manhattan that has been attacked by everything imaginable (laughs) yes they've they saw space god so a space devil shouldn't be that big a deal for them yeah after after galactus stomps around a couple of times the space devil shows up and you just go okay i guess god damn it why didn't i move (laughs) I should have moved. People in Cincinnati don't have to deal yeah. with this shit. Nobody, you know, <clears throat> the food here isn't even that great. The restaurant yeah. scene's gone to shit. Uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, once you bring it into the Marvel Universe, this is a city that ha- has seen the sky burn. Right, exactly. And, like, you're going to be like, ah, I'm the space devil. Like... Yeah, you're going to have the uber-religious that are like, oh no, it's Judgment Day again. And, but your uh, normalized New Yorker is going to go, fuck you! And like, what? Yeah, no, but like, tremble. I got to be in Brooklyn at two. Is this going to take long? Yeah. Like, uh, so Eternals number four is lettered by Irving Watanabe. Uh, Icarus flies over Manhattan and he's taking out various deviants. The Deviants are like, oh shit, it's an Eternal. Um, And 
they're they're like get the get the thing ready and so they fire this thing at icarus that hits him in the forehead and he falls um at which point this deviant mutate picks him up and brings him to this vessel that uh takes him under underwater and uh he is loaded into a tube uh which they then fire off uh into like a deep part of the ocean yeah uh so then cersei is uh talking to Margot and Margot Margot is still having problems. I mean, Margot is handling a lot of this like a champ. She you know? really is. Like but she's she's she's, she's having the... problems, but I mean, the the sheer amount of shit <sighs> she's had to deal with in the last 5 hours, right, would destroy most people. Yeah. So kudos to Margot for keeping her shit together. She's keeping her shit together, but she is having a little trouble keeping up. Like, yeah, she's she's still just like I don't wait understand. Wait a minute, what is? Why are okay? Who are you? She's like I'm Cersei. Okay, okay. What's happening outside? Those are deviants. All right, I remember those words. Okay, why are they here? They're I don't we really don't know about that one. Okay. Okay. Like, but she's holding on. Yeah. Um, she, she's, she's taking a lot of this. I mean, and plus she did just effectively lose her dad. That's true. Um, so like she's taking a lot on board right now. And the fact that she's not been reduced to gibbering madness, having seen a celestial, yeah is pretty impressive um but cersei's like yeah you know i turned ulysses uh and his armies into pigs and i counseled merlin at one point taught him a few things and now i'm here and i'm just kind of whatever and it's like all right like whatever uh but then a group of deviants uh attack and she turns them into lizards and it's just kind of like all right that's that'll take care of it um uh, but so <coughs> she she contacts uh she contacts we we see ajak who learns about icarus having been defeated uh and everything but yeah so that's that's that in eternals number five which is inked and lettered by mike royer uh cersei uses her magic mirror to contact makari uh she's like hey uh the deviants are attacking new york we should maybe get zurus uh involved and let's, so let's get him up here and try to you know stop that and as they're telling mockery uh i'm just gonna call him mercury it's easier um it's just makari 
Makari. Makari. As they're telling as they're telling Makari this, he more deviants show up and are sneaking up behind Cersei and Margot and are like menacing. Uh, they are effectively captured while yeah. Makari watches. Makari's like, shit, she wasn't lying. Fuck, mm, fuck, okay. And he takes off at his super speed to deal with Zerus's major domo, who is just like, no, nah, you can't see Zerus right now. He's busy. And I don't know. I don't know why it is that. Like every, every ostensibly omnipotent character in something like this has a dude like that, yeah. uh, whose job it is to just keep people out. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, he, uh, you know, cause like Green Lantern, Green Lantern has the, uh, what's his name? Salak, who does the same thing. And it's just, it's really annoying because it just slows everything down. Right. Um, uh, we switch back to New York where uh, shit is going wrong. And the Deviants bring Cersei and Mar- Margot to Crow. Crow kind of explains his evil, evil plan to her. Uh, she loses she loses a bit of her shit and turns his hand into like twisted stump stump wood and she's like they tell him to they tell her to undo it and she's like no fuck you you can't kill me and they're like fine and they point the gun at margo and she's like son of a bitch that's the one thing he asked me to do all right uh and he turns her hand turns his hand back and they all get into a submarine and go back to the crow ship. Right. Meanwhile, we meet we meet Zerus and Thena, who are playing Rock'em Sock'em robots. They are indeed. And <laughs> uh, Domo lets Makari in. He explains the problem, and everyone's like, Thena's like, okay, cool. I'm, looking forward to starting some shit let's do this and that's the thing is like Thena is badass she is her thing is she's super goddamn strong yeah Um, and he sends them on their way to Makari and Thena to go wreck shop in New York Right? Yeah. Did I, did I miss anything here? No. Uh, they they go, and while they're on their way, um, there are these cops that face down the deviants, and it's they're very brave, and it's very impressive. Yada yada yada. Um, but as they're as they're about to get shot into ground beef, uh, Thena and Makari show up in this um this ship and uh start blasting deviants um <clears throat> so and then the very last thing in this issue is that um 
we we see the Pentagon briefly, um, where some aide brings in um, some pictures, and he's like, "Sir, you've got to see this." And uh, this general's like, "Okay, what what is it?" And it's pictures of the celestial ship in um, in the Andes. In, yeah. the Andes and uh, <clears throat> they're just like oh shit and it appears that uh, that perhaps uh, Crow's plan is working right so that brings us to Eternals number six uh, Makari and Thena are um, fighting the deviants and they they're they're kicking some ass um but they they sit down in front of crow and crow's just like i've got what i want so there's really no reason for me to continue everybody stand down blah 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 and uh he agrees to a truce and Makari and Thena are, of course, uh, suspicious, but whatever. It, do, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that they've ended hostilities for now. Um, but Crow has done what he wanted to do, which is he's inspired fear in the humans. And yeah, so... Um, Athena is just like, whatever. The people are not dumb enough to be afraid of space devils and space devils. I don't know why I keep saying devil uh, today, but she's like, they're not going to be afraid of space devils. And he's just like, we'll see. Um, so as part of, uh, as part of their uh, truce, Cersei and Margot are to be released. Icarus is to be recovered and released. So uh, they go and recover the tube, bring it on board. They remove the brain mine and he's allowed out. Um, they meet up. They meet back up with Thena and Makari. Um, and they're just like, okay, so we need an opportunity to kind of let people know what's going on. And Margot's like, I think I know a guy. So she introduces them to an anthropolo anthropologist named Sam Holden. Uh, he, they explain, like, and Crow comes along. I don't really know why Crow agrees to this other than, what the fuck ever, it doesn't matter. I, I did what I set out to do, so... Eh. Um, so Holden meets with them they explain what's going on and he decides to hold a Q&A at the college that he teaches at I don't know why this is his big plan to unveil all of this but whatever letting college kids ask dumb questions I guess is the best way to introduce them to the world so sure. uh they have this they have this big meeting and everybody's just like blown away and crow 
shows that the horns are just like whatever he can make them go away but uh yeah everybody's everybody's astounded icarus shows them what he can do by flying around and uh cersei shows off by making a dude look like the thing Mm -hmm. and at this point in time like this is the first indication we have of the larger larger marvel universe but it's not enough on its own because she makes him look like the thing but here the fantastic four could just be a comic book right exactly uh what actually brings it into the larger marvel u is that at the end of this issue there is a shield team sent in to uh see what's going on in the andes as they get closer a uh, a celestial pops up i don't know how they were surprised by a space giant uh a, much less a bright yellow one like he doesn't really blend in with the surrounding flora and fauna but whatever he surprises them and then uh they disappear and we're left with like their their radio going come in come in what's yeah. happening down there and uh that is that is that so uh the watcher's guides top five top five uh number five is space devil because it's such a goofy plan and it gets undone in such a goofy way that it's it's too goofy to leave to leave sitting there uh number four is misty giving iron fist colleen's sword um when she when he's leaving before he jumps out of the plane because it's clear how much she cares about colleen like yeah in that moment you're like she's like i don't know if it'll work but like show her the sword give her the sword maybe it'll break it out of her or break her if there's anything wrong she'll come around um i liked that uh number three colleen absolutely putting down that's the whole sequence but like colleen putting down the screamer like because that the way that it's paneled it is so cool um and yeah just the sequence itself is really really rad and it's good to showcase that colleen can for sure hold hold her own um number two is uh the champions choose choosing widow to be their leader it's a lot when we went through it today i realized that it's actually a lot shorter of a segment than i remember it feeling like when i read it the first mm-hmm. time because reading it the first time i was like oh this is really this is cool and important and everybody's you know on the same page and i liked it uh and then number one arshim because or arashem because celestials are fucking rad to look at i'm sorry um no that's fine (laughs) just they're a really kick-ass design they always have or and it's it's cool that they've always been that way, right? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I liked it. 
So that's me. Yeah, I you know I still get a, I still get a little kick every time I see a celestial with that Jack Kirby. I mean, like uh, it's only for a moment, but even in like uh, in Guardians guardians of the galaxy when they show a full celestial for a second and you're like fuck oh, yeah yeah like and no it's only the deep nerds that were like holy shit is that what i think it is like yeah. it's it, of course it is because there aren't any other there is no possibility where that isn't what yeah I think there's it is. there's no there was no ambiguity there and like but also like what is it so like the deep nerd in me was so happy because I was like, what does that mean? Oh my God. Why would you do this to me? Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed the shit out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was your number one, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> number five is, uh, introducing the Eternals to a bunch of fucking kids. Cause here's the thing. I've I've heard someone describe children as the worst humans, but I don't think that's fair because like children children haven't developed like they haven't developed empathy and shit yet, right? Right. Uh I would posit that the worst humans are like teenagers into college students because they know enough to be really insufferable, but they have not yet developed enough to not be absolutely terrible. So, yeah. So I don't know why, like, just call a press conference, man. Even if only a couple of people show up, if you can get this shit on the news, like, that's a big deal. Right. But like just a Q and A with a bunch of fucking college kids, who cares, right. man? Uh so yeah. <laughs> the the logic behind that escapes me. Um number four. So there is uh there is a thing I love in uh it it refers to uh it generally refers to film. But it's the the peekaboo reveal wherein, you know, it's like the Tyrannosaurus Rex at the the end of Jurassic Park when he randomly shows up and starts fighting the raptors off. Sure. There's no way he could have like snuck up on anybody. Right. When his approach before was enough to make like everything shake. Right. Same with uh, the movie Cloverfield, how the monster managed to somehow sneak up on them in the middle of fucking Central Park. Right. Like, there's no way. The same is true here with this celestial at the end of <laughs> Eternals number six. It is a bright yellow space god. It is enormous and bright yellow. And you're like, I mean, yeah, it's the middle of the forest. If you saw something yellow and bird size, you may not think anything of it. But if it's yellow and the size of a building, you can't miss that. How did it surprise you? Um, like, if you couldn't get away, that's one thing. I get that. Right. But it's surprising you makes no goddamn sense. Uh, 
Hello. <laughs> yeah. Number three is uh, Iron Fist dealing with those guards uh, when he first arrives mm-hmm. at uh, at the compound because uh, that was really well done and yeah. it was a really it was a really cool moment not just for the character but also in terms of the staging and everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, number two is that moment of uncertainty. Uh, really the end of Iron Fist number seven, both the moment of uncertainty uh, when he doesn't really know if he did everything he could have to save Khan, to have saved Khan. Uh, and that moment between he and Colleen where she's she's like angry, but she decides to put it aside. Right. Um, and the number one is Colleen, uh, fighting her way through those guys with the sword and the scabbard and then the flash of steel Mm. and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, I got over Dragon Ball Z a long time ago. Sure. But there is one really cool shot that sort of has always stuck with me and it's when Trunks first shows up. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, like, slices Frieza, and you see Trunks just floating there, and then the shot literally starts to slide apart. Yep. And it's because he's cut Frieza in half. That that shot is really cool, and Colleen has one of those moments here. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, next week, we have we have kind of a... Half and half in that we've got a bunch of Marvel chillers with Tigra and then a buttload of defenders. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, Strap in. Yeah. Cause defenders, defenders started out really strong, but then there's also been some real hit or miss stuff. In defenders. There, so. Like I, I don't have a lot of hope for Tigra. Uh, I, I just don't because the cat started out really strong. Well, no, the cat started out okay, got really strong, and then flew off the fucking rails. Um, so if that, and it's going to be Tigra, not it's still Greer, but like it's going to be Tigra. I I don't have don't have a lot of confidence for that one. Well, but yeah, I mean, defenders. By the cat was a really interesting character, mm-hmm. um, and finding out that she becomes Tigra was really hard to reconcile, because I'm used to sex kitten Tigra who eats mice. Right. And, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, and Defenders hasn't been all over the map. It's generally been pretty strong. There have been stories where I'm just like, Nighthawk, or not Night, yeah, Nighthawk, you need to go away sometimes but like <laughs> that is... one that one issue with the tap dancing uh hollywood villain right was real tough uh but like this sometimes it's real good sometimes it's rough so you, i really don't know yeah yeah so yeah uh in the meantime uh, like us on Facebook, follow us uh, both individually and at Watchers Guide MU. Uh, 
email us at watchersguide at gmail.com and visit our website at watchersguide.com. That is it for us, and have a marvelous week. Bye.